Okay, our topic tonight from Daniel chapter 12, the end of time. Now, we looked at the time of the end last time, and so now we're looking at the end of time. There's a difference between the two. Uh, so, but before we do that, I want to show you a video that uh, came across this week, which I found very, very amazing, especially in light of the things we've been talking about and looking at. Um, okay, so each of these colors represents a different religion, uh, starting back in 1946, 1945, right after the Holocaust. Right? And so we have Judaism, they split Judaism into three different sections, uh, Reform Judaism, Conservative Judaism, and Orthodox Judaism. And again, that's after six million Jews were, were killed. Um, and so that number would be you know, higher than, than it is there, over twice as high. And, uh, and so then you have the Alawites on the very bottom. They are the Islam Alawites that today are, are uh, Syria. So the leader of Syria, he's an Alawite. And then uh, you have Islam Shia, just a little bit above the Jews and an Anglican Christian, and that's blue, so then you have Islam, Sunni Islam, and that's in green. So the two greens are your two Islams, and then your blues are your Christian groups, and the tans are your Jewish groups. Um, and so then you have two Buddhists in the yellow, Shinto in red, then Christian Orthodox, Christian Protestants, Hindu, and then Catholics. Now, um, just as the Buddhists were split into two, and Islam into two, and Christianity into four. Really, Protestants could have split, been divided up into a thousand or more, uh, but they put all the rest of the Protestants in one group uh, for, this, for this chart. Uh, so we have to take that into consideration. So this is again 1946, and if you look at that, Protest well, let's go back to the Islam, at this point, had been around for like 1,300 years. And it only grew that much. Judaism was around like 4,000 4, years or so and, and only grew that much. But Islam's still pretty small after 1,300 years. Catholics, again, around uh, longer than that and, and grew tremendously in that time period. Um, Protestants, amazingly, only around for about 300 years at this point. So of all of them, as far as growth per year, Protestants had grown significantly the most in, in that short period of time. Um, and with their goal to reach the world, at this point in time, they easily could have. Um, uh, much higher numbers, again, than, than these other much smaller groups. So reaching these smaller groups would really not be that hard. Be basically one Protestant you know, for, for each of these non-biblical groups. Uh, and then, Hindus, a little bit more of a challenge, because there's more on that, but, but not insurmountable, right? And then, and then to share what Protestants believe with Catholics um, and Greek Orthodox, well, at least they're using the same Bible, right? So not insurmountable. That's 1946. Now we're going to watch this video go from 1946 to today. Okay, and the numbers are going to be moving very quickly as, as it goes through, and so uh, you'll be... Uh, well, well, let's play it. Okay, so Judaism on its way down, Reform Judaism dropping, Hindus increasing, Sunni Islam moving up, Orthodox Judaism went up, 
Conservative Judaism dropping. 1959, Islam moving up again, Sunni Islam moving up. And then we're really starting to pick up pace here in the 1960s. Overtaking Christian Orthodox. Reform Judaism dropping again. Conservative Judaism dropping off the 15 chart. Now 1970s, look at Islam, Sunni Islam, just really, really accelerate. By 1981, overtaking Protestants. Conservative Judaism is off the chart. Reform Judaism is almost off the chart. Now 1986, and Islam, Sunni Islam, is again now having a growth spurt. Just really, really rapid pace. Nineteen ninety-nine overtakes Hinduism. Really rapid pace. Nineteen ninety-nine overtaking uh, Catholicism, and continuing to just grow massively. Hinduism starting to continuing to grow at a steady pace. During this time, Protestants have grown and back and forth a little bit. Two thousand fourteen, two thousand fifteen, Hinduism overtakes Catholicism. And to our day. And so two thousand nineteen, Reform Judaism is off the chart. Conservative Judaism is off the chart of the top fifteen in number. Orthodox Judaism, about 7 million. Islam, Shia, grew, but, you know, not tremendously. It, it grew basically at the same pace that the others grew, percentage-wise. The only one with massive, massive growth was Islam Sunni in that time period. 30 times its size. During that time, Catholicism and Protestantism grew 3 to 4 percent in that last 70 years. And others again about that percentage. But for Sunni Islam, after 1,300 years getting to eighth place, in just 70 years, zooming to first place, and not only just first place, but they're almost more than both Catholics and Protestants combined. And it was just, what, 1999 or something like that when they overtook Protestants? Or maybe that's when they overtook Catholics and just a few years before that overtook Protestants. That is absolutely amazing. If Protestants or Judaism or, you know, uh, would have grown at that rate, they would have reached the world with their message. And back again in 1945, 
it was very feasible. You could look at the numbers and say, hey, this is possible. We'll put a few missionaries here, we'll put a few missionaries there, we'll take out some commercials here, we'll take out some ads here, send some Bibles over there, and very possibly easily, on paper, figure out how to reach the world with the Bible. Today, between Hinduism and Sunni Islam, reaching them is really, and then you add in some of these other groups, Buddhism, really an impossibility. But that's a good thing because God loves the impossibilities, right? And maybe it's when it was possible, God said, well, you've you, you got too many <laughs> in your ranks. Uh, I'm not going to go and fight the army like with, uh, like, um, uh, I'm drawing a blank on his name in the Bible, but he takes the people to the spring. You've got too many people to get down to 300 to uh, Gideon. Thank you. All right, Gideon. Right? Like a Gideon situation, God says, you have too many to fight this battle. And so God loves the impossible, and God will do the impossible. The gospel will go to the world, but now we see the challenge. And not only the challenge of why it explains so much politically, it explains so much in the business world of why businesses and politicians and governments and nations are bowing down to Sunni Islam. Right, so the Shia Islam, that's Iran basically, and Sunni Islam is Saudi Arabia and basically most of the others. Um, and so that's what's taking place right now in the world. Uh, the Sunni Islam, that's where ISIS came from. ISIS was, is Sunni Islam. And so that's the kind of, uh, and you got all a mix there. That also Egypt and also Jordan and also, again, Saudi Arabia. So you got a mixture within that Sunni Islam. Uh, but that growth is, is, is just unbelievable. Again, it explains a lot. And so uh, we see these are the major players in last day events that the Bible predicted. Now we read last week, but unto you, Daniel, shut up these words and seal the book until the time of the end. Many shall run to and fro and knowledge shall increase. And last week we, we talked about the time of the end, which is different than the end of time. The time of the end is like the beginning of the end. And if you missed that, you can see that on shalomadventure.com. Also, that video that we just looked is also on shalomadventure.com. If it's not still posted there when you go to look, it'll be there for a few weeks. Uh, and then it'll go into the archives. But if you just type in the search engine, amazing growth is what we titled that article. Amazing growth. And we have that video there. Um, because that is, that was a, that's a 30 times in, in, in 70 years is amazing growth. And again, if that can be done there, it can be done, God can do that with us as well. Uh, okay, so the time of the end, and we looked at our chart, and the time of the end, starting in, uh, with uh, the Lisbon earthquake in 1755. Now, I put this whole chart, because this is 2,000 years here, but I put this chart, but I couldn't fit it all on there um, in a, um, oops, in a, uh, scale to scale, right? So everything's kind of squished there. So I did it to scale uh, in a Word document and using basically like a 12 font for each line and, and typed everything in that's on there and a line for all the blank years. So a line for every year and put in the ones in the years. Well, the, it takes 47 pages to print the last 2,000 years in that way. The last time of the end would be the last six pages. 
So you got like 41 pages of all the rest of this chart. So that's 46 pages, and that is only six pages. So again, it's, it's hard to put on this screen for this kind of a chart to scale, but that kind of gives you a visualization how intense in these last years, basically every four, no more than uh, 50 years, from four to 50 years, each of these events and other events, significant biblical events, prophetic events, time prophecies, specific events are mentioned by Yeshua and others of what would be taking place in these last days. And we saw that most of them have already taken place. And again, if you missed those sermons, you can see them on shalomadventure.com. And so we're down here at the end and waiting for the full gospel to reach the world and for the full sight to come back to Israel and then for the mark of the beast to be enforced and for the Lord to come. And, uh, and then that is the end of time. So we have the time of the end to the end of time. And so what we're going to look at tonight is focus on the end of time and what's going to take place in the end of time, in these last day events. Uh, one other thing I want to point out with the chart here. So the major players, as we saw from Bible prophecy over and over again brought out, is Islam. We saw Islam uh, prominently in, in, in Daniel and Revelation. Even more prominently, we saw Catholicism. And we saw Protestantism, especially U.S., U.S. coming into play, and Protestantism playing a role there, especially apostate Protestantism, without the full gospel, without the full Bible. Um, and then we have Israel. Those are the four players. Those are the four major players here on earth. Of course, God is the major player, right? But those are the four active players here on earth. Right? So if someone tells you, look to Russia, or look to China, or things like that, you know, you, they're off on a tangent. They're not mentioned in these Bible prophecies. They don't come into play. These are the major players. That's not necessarily where we need to be looking. We need to be looking up. We need to look to heaven. We need to look to the Lord. Look up for our redemption draws nigh. Right? So keep our eyes focused on heaven. Keep our eyes focused on the Lord. Keep our walk with him. But as far as players and actions that are going to be taking place that are fulfilling Bible prophecies, those are the main ones. Again, Catholicism in their major battle with Islam and using Protestant America to join forces with them in that last day battle, King of the North, King of the South battle, and Israel stuck in the middle. Those are the players. That's it. That's it. Not that God doesn't care about all the rest of the world. And, and, and of course, as the U.S. gets into it, a lot of other countries will follow suit as they always do. You know, when the uh, United States sneezes, the rest of the world catches a cold, right? So they'll pull everybody else with them into this last great battle. And, and so that's what it talks about here in Daniel chapter 12, verse 1. At that time, the time of the end, Michael shall stand up, the great prince who stands watch over the sons of your people, and there shall be a time of trouble such as there never was since the nation, even to that time. And at that time, your people shall be delivered, everyone who is found written in the book. Many of those who sleep in the dust of the earth shall awake, some to everlasting life, some to shame and everlasting content, contempt. Okay, so Michael stands up, our great prince, watching over his people. So we have God watching over us. He's got his eyes on us. He's, he's as an assignment for us. He will deliver us through this time of trouble. And we'll just major battle is last war to end all wars, making World War II and World War I look like nothing in comparison. This major battle, King of the North, King of the South, 
such a time of trouble that the world has never seen. And we will be stuck in the midst of it, but God's hand and protection will be over us. It doesn't mean that none of us will die during that time. We might, but God will protect us and we will see us through to the end and he will deliver us. If not on this earth, into heaven, he will deliver us. His deliverance will be there and he will step in at just the right time. And that's what we're going to be looking at some more tonight. Okay, one more thing with this text. It says, whose names have been found written in the book. On our cycle here, we're coming right towards the high holy days, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and we have a saying that on Rosh Hashanah, the books, the books of heaven, God's book, God's book of judgment, where he has his names, his book of life, the book will be opened, God's book, God writes us, whoever's names are found written in the book, those are the ones who will be delivered. So we have the saying on Rosh Hashanah, the books are open, where God reveals to us what's in our lives, what's there that needs to be confessed. Then we have that 10 days of awe between Rosh Hashanah and Yom Kippur. And then on Yom Kippur, the books are closed, the book is sealed. And as it says in Revelation, whatever is, whoever is righteous will be righteous still, whoever is just will be just still, whoever is unjust will be unjust still. Whoever is unrighteous will be unrighteous sealed. Everything is sealed. Everything will be the way it is. No one will switch sides after that point in time. Everyone will have their opportunity. Everyone will make up their choice. Everyone will be like concrete, totally mixed and, and totally set, right? Permanently set. And uh, they will have made their choice and all be set. And then God can come. Everyone would have made their choices, one side or the other. The books will be opened, however written in the book. So Revelation 11, verse 15, the seventh angel sounded and the time of the dead that they should be judged. Okay, so this end of time is also the time of the dead that they should be judged. Okay, this is the seventh angel sounded. There are seven angels in Revelation. They're sounding seven trumpets, one trumpet each. They're sounding the trumpets. There were seven shofars and like this artist, he drew this angel with a shofar, right? So he's blowing the shofar, and the shofars are blown at the beginning of every month. Rosh Hashanah is the beginning of the seventh month. It's the um, seventh month in the Jewish calendar, and so by then you have the seventh angel sounding, the seventh trumpets sounding, so again, last day events. Again, our long chart there, we had the Messiah's death and burial and resurrection right on time. So we had the Passover, we had the beginning spring feasts all being fulfilled in Yeshua when he was here on earth. The last three feasts, last three holy days, the high holy days, Rosh Hashanah, Yom Kippur, and Sukkot are all at the end. And that's what we're seeing here. This last seventh angel coming and blowing the shofar, like the feast of trumpets, the feast of blasting, the Yom Truah, Rosh Hashanah, all the same thing, different names for the same, same event. Same day. And so the blowing of the shofar, and he's announcing that the time of the dead has come. They will receive their judgment at that time. In these past sermons, the last few weeks, we've looked at the fifth angel sounding his trumpet and the sixth angel sounding his trumpet. And that was the Islamic wars, again, with Christianity and Catholicism. Until so we get to the sixth, and that's where we were at. We saw that. And so now we're at the seventh. We're right between the 6th and the 7th. That's where we are in, in, in time prophecy. 
between the sixth and the seventh angel, and there is no eighth angel. This is it. We're down to the, to the very end of times, the last, the seventh of the seventh trumpets. And so he will sound, and again, that is the end, the time to be judged, the time of the dead. And that you should reward your servants and the saints and those who fear your name and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Verse 19, still Revelation 11. And the temple of God was opened in heaven, and the ark of his covenant was seen in his temple. Now we've talked about that when we, it's on our chart, the, the, the cleansing of the heavenly sanctuary, the cleansing of the sanctuary, right? When, and it is in heaven, takes place in heaven, the heavenly cleansing. Well, here it mentions the temple of God was opened where? In heaven. Now when, in the earthly sanctuary, when was the temple, when was the ark of God seen in the temple of God. Someone said it. Yom on Yom Kippur. Correct. Yom Kippur is the only day of the whole year when the ark was able to be seen. And so here the ark is being seen in heaven, the heavenly ark, the heavenly temple. The ark is being seen in Revelation. It prophesied that way. The temple of God is opened in heaven and the ark of the covenant was seen in the temple. Again, taking us to last day events, paralleling with last day events, the books being opened, the time of the dead that they should be judged, God's ark being opened, the, the, the end part of the sanctuary, taking us right into the Holy of Holies, Yom Kippur. Right? And so that you should judge, so you should reward your servants, the saints, and those who fear your name, and should destroy those who destroy the earth. Right? So exactly at the same time, rewarding the servants, and destroying those who destroy the earth, right? Parallel taking place. God's deliverance of his people and his destruction of the wicked. Now, I always, I always really, every time I read this text, it always just really amazes me that back there in John's day, God had him write, he's going to destroy those who destroy the earth. And I can imagine John chuckling at that, but writing it down anyway. And as he's there on Patmos and he's sending this off, uh, to the mainland, and any Roman soldiers that are reading this, oh, this guy is nuts. He's crazy, those who destroy the earth. How are we going to destroy the earth? I mean, how could you destroy the earth back then? Right? You had clay pots and clay bowls. I mean, what are you going to do? Pollute the earth with clay pots? I mean, the pot of clay you're going to step on, it's going to break and it's going to turn to clay again, right? Eventually it's going to break down and become dirt again. You know? Uh, they didn't have bombs. They're not going to blow up. What are they going to do? It's the swords? That's all they had. A bow and arrow, throw a rock and destroy the earth? How are they going to destroy the earth? They had no plastic, they had no rubber, right? They couldn't destroy it pollution-wise, they couldn't destroy it with bombs or anything. They had nothing to destroy the earth. They're going to cut down some trees? And with their, with their little saws, right? They're going to cut down the whole entire rainbow with, the, with little saws? But God prophesied there's going to be a time on earth. And it, hasn't, it wasn't until we ended to this time of the end that we are actually able, quickly, in a day, destroy this earth. In the nuclear war, we can easily destroy the earth. And so again, this massive war, king of the south, king of the north, going at it, king of the south pushing, king of the north, whirlwind coming down. And just before we destroy ourselves, God says, I'm not going to let you do that. He steps in, he delivers his people, and he destroys those who are destroying the earth. And so we can do it with nuclear, we can do it with our polluting this earth, we're destroying God's creation. 
just as he prophesied. So again, takes us right to the end of time, and simultaneously, God delivers his people and destroys the wicked. Acts chapter 13, verse 20, 31. He has appointed a day on which he will judge the world. Now, like the other texts, what tense is this? Past, present, or future? He has appointed a day in which he will judge the world. Future tense. He will. It's in the future. All these texts have been talking in the future. Right? A last day event. Right? Yom Kippur is the sixth of the seven holy days through the year. To the very end. Down to the very end. Matthew 12, verse 41. Nineveh will rise up in the judgment with this generation and condemn it because they repented at the preaching of Jonah and one greater than Jonah is here. Right, so with that text, he's saying Nineveh hadn't even been judged, fully judged, eternally judged, at the time of Yeshua. Because it's Yeshua talking here. He's saying Nineveh hasn't yet been judged, but Nineveh's going to rise up in the future with his generation and with our generation and will be judged based on what they had opportunity to know. Similarly, the next verse, the Queen of Sheba, the Queen of the South, talking about the Queen of Sheba, will rise in the judgment with this generation and condemn it, for she came from the ends of the earth to hear the wisdom of Solomon, and indeed a greater than Solomon is here. So according to that text, the Queen of Sheba hasn't even been judged yet, because she's going to raise, with Yeshua's generation, at the end of time, and will be justified at that time, and will condemn Yeshua's generation because she had less light than they had available to them, and she believed and followed the Lord. Matthew 16, verse 27. For the Son of Man will come in the glory of his Father with his angels, and then he will reward each according to his works. So again, it's when the Lord returns, it's at that last day, he comes to deliver his people, and as he comes to deliver his people, he brings his rewards with him. Now we already read in another text, what are the rewards? He rewards the saints, hey, what's the reward? Another text says that uh, for the gift of God is eternal life. And the wages of sin, or the gift for sin, the wages of sin is death. Right? So he comes with his rewards for his saints, everlasting life, and he destroys those who destroy the earth. He comes with his rewards for both simultaneously at his coming, at the seventh trumpet, at the very end. Yom Kippur ends with a final trumpet, the last trump at the end. Uh, judgment period is a process from Rosh Hashanah on through. We have it, there's a 10 days of awe here. I don't think it's a literal 10 days there uh, in last days, but this time period taking place. Revelation 22, verse 12. And behold, I am coming quickly, and my reward is with me to give everyone according to his work. And you might be thinking, we just read that. And we did basically just read that, but that was in Matthew. This is in Revelation, almost word for word, saying exactly the same thing. That's the amazing thing of the Bible. As we look at the Bible as a whole, it's saying the same thing over and over and over again. Beautiful. All these different writers, written at all these different times, and they're all in agreement and harmony together. God's Word's fabulous. It's absolutely beautiful. Back to chapter, uh, Matthew, this time verse, chapter 13. 
Let both the wheat and the tares grow together until the harvest. Right? If anyone's doing farming, the harvest is at the end. Right? Until the time of the harvest, let them grow together. And in the time of the harvest, I will say to the reapers, gather together first the tares and bind them in bundles to burn them. So again, the destruction of the wicked, bind them together to burn them, and then simultaneously, and gather the wheat into my barns. Right? And the third of the last High Holy Days is also called Sukkot, but it's also called the Feast of Ingathering. And so the gathering in of God's people. So gather my wheat into the barns and take the tares and burn them simultaneously. Again, at the last day. First Thessalonians chapter 4, For the Lord himself shall descend from heaven with a shout, with the voice of the archangel, and with the shofar of God, and the dead in Messiah will rise first, and we which are alive and remain shall be caught up together with them in the clouds to meet the Lord in the air. And again, it's just like some of the other texts we said. The, angel is, the, archangel, the, the archangel is blowing the shofar of God, Right, so the seventh angel blowing the shofar of God. And the time of the dead, and the dead in Messiah will rise first. So the time of the dead, that they should be judged. And we which are alive and remain caught up together with them to meet the Lord in the air. And so this is the deliverance for the righteous. As the world is falling apart, as the world is battling it out, God comes and steps in and delivers his people as he always does. At the last moment, in the midst of the trouble, he steps in and delivers his people. Coming through the Red Sea, right? He takes us to the Red Sea, he parts the Red Sea, he delivers his people, and then he brings judgment, and the waters close in on the Egyptian army coming to attack us. 2 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 8, whom the Lord will consume with the breath of his mouth and destroy with the brightness of his coming. So again, at his coming, two events simultaneously taking place, his deliverance of his saints and his destruction of the wicked. As in the days of Noah, or rather as in the days of Lot, and as in the days of Noah, so shall it be at the coming of the Son of Man. Well, what was it like in the days of Lot? What was it like in the days of Noah? Well, certainly there was, you know, horrible debauchery taking place and, and a denial of God and a denial of God's power. And we're seeing those things taking root and even more and more and, and, and growing massively uh, around the world. But also we see in those events the same thing we've seen in all of these other texts. A judgment at the last minute, God stepping in, him delivering his people. In the time of Lot, Lot and his two daughters delivered and Judgment upon the city simultaneously. Same in the time of Noah. Noah and his family delivered and judgment upon the wicked. Same events over and over and over. History repeating itself for God preparing us for this last time. There is a judgment time that will take place. Marvel not at this, for the hour is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice and shall come forth. What tense is that? Past, present, or future? A time is, marvel not this, a time is coming in which all that are in the grave shall hear his voice. Future tense, right? So again, God has this event for taking place for the future, a time coming, that all who are in the graves will hear his voice, 
and shall come forth they that have done good unto the resurrection of life and they that have done evil unto the resurrection of damnation. So two specific resurrections, one for the righteous and one for the evil, and they will receive their judgment, a judgment call of damnation at that time. So again, Queen of Sheba rising up and rising up with Yeshua's generation, one being justified, one being condemned. Right? So simultaneously at that time, at that last day. Now, what's the difference between those that have done good and those that have done evil? What's the difference between the righteous and the wicked? At heart, really nothing. Because we're all wicked. We're all born wicked. There's no physical difference between one group and the other group. The only difference is, and the price was paid for all. Yeshua came and died for the sins of the world. So forgiveness was granted to all. So sin was committed by all. And forgiveness was granted to all. The only difference is that one group chose to accept his forgiveness in their behalf. One group chose, one group realized that it could not be good on its own. That everything it did in its life was destructive to itself or to others in some way shape or form selfish greedy hateful bitter revengeful unthankful and realized in and of themselves they had no power to change and they cried out to God for help God change me God forgive me, God cleanse me. That's the only difference. One side realizes it needs help, and one side realizes or doesn't think it does. That's the only difference. And God, there's a saying, God helps those who help themselves. That's not in the Bible. It's actually 100% contrary, in contradiction to the Bible. God doesn't help those who help themselves, because if they can help themselves, they don't need God's help. And that's the side that the wicked are on. They say, I don't need God's help. I'm doing okay on my own. I'm not 100% perfect, but I'm doing okay. I'm certainly doing better than you. And I like it this way, and I'm just going to continue doing it this way. They don't sense their need of God's help. And God's going to help me because I'm helping myself. But the other group, referred to as the righteous, realize they need God's help for everything. Now, without him, they can do nothing. Now, it's not that we can't do anything, but anything we do is really nothing. That's what it means, right? Every good thing we do is worth nothing, as far as God's concerned. Okay, so good. You got up and made breakfast. Wonderful. It really means nothing. In, 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 oh, you were nice to someone. Oh, you gave something to someone. It really means nothing without God. Without him, we really can do no real good thing. Because every good we do without him, we still got evil motives. We did it so maybe someone would see that we did it. Or just so that we feel good about doing some good deed. So the righteous are those who sense their need of God and surrender to him and ask for his help, ask for his forgiveness, accept the Messiah's death in their place and accept the Holy Spirit to live out his goodness through them. That's the only difference. And that's available to everyone. There's no special calling. 
no better than anyone else. Actually, we realize we're more needy as, as needy as everyone else. You know, in the sense that we're better than anyone else, we've just received the help that was available to all. And that doesn't make us better. It just means we realize we need help. We're in desperate need of help. That's the only difference. And it's available to all. But unfortunately, as we've seen over and over again, there were only eight who got in the ark with Noah. Only Lot and his two daughters, and even they had issues, made it out of Sodom and Gomorrah. It's always been small minority, not the masses. Broad is the way that leads to destruction, and many there be that walk therein. But narrow and straight is the way that leads to heaven, and few there be that walk therein. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 51, We shall not all sleep, but we shall all be changed in a moment, in a twinkling an eye, at the last trump. Again, trumpets. At the last shofar, for the trumpet will sound and the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed for this mortal must put on immortality. That's the key. He comes and he gets at his coming. All in the future. At his coming, at that last trump. At the end of the Yom Kippur, at the end of the judgment time, when the sanctuary has been cleansed, when God has finished his work, then he comes and delivers his people and raises the dead, the time of the dead, that they should be judged. And the dead will be raised incorruptible and we shall be changed. Mortal puts on immortality. So God has for us. Heaven in store for us. I'll tell you, if there wasn't a heaven in store for us, it'd be pretty depressing on this earth. I mean, even if there wasn't a heaven, I'd still want to follow God because of what he's done in my life. Be able to give me peace through troubles and, and victory over sins and change my heart and mind, still working in me and still working through me, but thankful for what he's done, thankful what he's given, thankful what he offers even here on this dirty, dark earth. But there's no heaven. This all, as if this is all it was. To live a few years struggling and working most of the time and sleeping the rest of the good portion of the rest of the time to pay bills and to make ends meet and to work, to pay, to work, to pay, to work, to pay and all through that struggle all along the way. And even among the good times there's hard times. And even among those that give us joy, they also give us sorrow. To go through that. And then to be nothing after that. How depressing. Might as well do drugs, drink alcohol, and commit suicide, right? I mean, there's no heaven and there's no God. What a depressing place we're in. What a horrible world this is. And there are many places more horrible than most of us have seen. But there is a heaven. God has a plan for us. And he's going to take this mortal with its mortality and it's corruption, and he's going to change it and make us immortal and incorruptible. It's going to change us in a twinkling of an eye at that last trump. And we will see him face to face in all of his glory. Amen. And for eternity, we will dwell with the Lord. And that leads us right into Sukkot, the last of the seven holy days of the Lord. So a day of judgment is coming. We need to prepare and be prepared 
and get others prepared for his judgment day will come soon and very soon as these last days wrap up we need to warn this world and as we see this world go crazy we need to get the message out while it is day for night is coming when no one will be able to work and that time is closing up really quickly we need to get the message out now. So we need to be ready, right? As we prepare here in this year for the High Holy Days, we need to be ready, get ready, stay ready. But also as we enter into the last days of Earth's history, we need to be ready, get ready, and get other people ready for His coming. And that's really what it's all about. Because He will judge. And that's a good news. You know, because as we go through Earth, and we have horrible things happen, and we see horrible things happen, and we wonder, God, why do you allow that? Why do you allow that person to do that to that other person? Why do you allow that person to do that to me? Why do you allow that boss or that coworker or that neighbor or that landlord or that tenant to do that to me or that spouse or that family member to do that to me, that father, that uncle, that mother? Why do you allow them to do that to me? Why didn't you step in? Why do you allow a Hitler? Why do you allow these things to happen? God will judge. He will have his day of judgment. No one's getting away with it. Oh, they can hide it here on earth. Oh, they can, they can keep from getting thrown into prison now. They might have influence. They may have connections. They may have money now and, and avoid it for now. But God sees all. He's got his watch on all who have their names written in the Lamb's Book of Life. Our great prince is watching over us. And his day of judgment is coming. His time of retribution is coming. His time of vengeance is coming. And he will deal his blow once and for all. And all who have done unrighteously will pay the price of the wrath of God poured out without mixture. They won't get away with it. Justice will be enacted. Now, fortunately for us and really for all the world, he's offering a way out. Because we've all sinned, we've all done wrong, we've all hurt others. And he's offering a way out now, beforehand, before the judge comes back with his verdict, to get a record cleaned out. To pay the debt beforehand. To accept his death as payment in our behalf. And to have our record clean that's this cleansing of the sanctuary we have this time now to allow god to open our book and reveal to us what's there so he can cleanse our hearts and minds which then correlates with his cleansing in heaven of cleansing those books in heaven our book in heaven cleansing off our record in heaven so that when he comes for his judgment there's nothing there it's been blotted out by the blood of the lamb it's been cleansed by the messiah's sacrifice for us so it's good news on both sides for us. For the wrongs we've done, he'll wash away. And the wrongs that have been done to us, he will bring his judgment. And so, as we prepare to pray in just another moment, if there's sins on our record, past or present, that have not been forgiven, have not been blotted out, have not been washed away, have not been confessed, have not been removed by the sacrifice of the Messiah in a moment when we pray, confess it to him. Let him forgive you. Let him wash you clean. Let him move your record from the born wicked that we are to his side by his grace, by his power, by his love, by his goodness.
Secondly, if there's something that you're holding on to, maybe some problem happened to you, some hurt happened to you, in the past or present that's still hurting you, you're still feeling the pain from it, you still have an open wound from it, still bitter or angry or hurt, when you surrender it over to God. Let vengeance be his. Let him deal with it in his judgment day, in his way, in his time. Let him remove it out of your life. The anger, the bitterness, and let him deal with the evildoer, the bad guy. And leave it with him. Because his judgment will come. In his time. In his way. Third, as we see the need to reach the world more than ever, we need to pray for a miracle. We need to pray for an outpouring of God's Spirit in such a way to reach these masses that, again, weren't there 70 years ago, but are there now. And God needs to use us in an amazing, miraculous way to bring his gospel to the world. And we want to be part of that. Let's pray for God to just anoint us. Again, in such a way with the latter rain power, a double portion of the spirit that was upon Elijah, a double portion of that was there upon the disciples. We need that and more. We need all that God has to be able to reach these masses. But God can do it. That's the miracle of God. And he'll get all the honor and glory. So if any of those areas apply to you, or maybe some other area God's been speaking to your heart and mind about, let's pray and let God do his work. Our Lord and our God, ruler of the universe, we praise your name and we thank you for your word. We thank you for the accuracy and the beauty of it. We're thankful that you are truthful. You've seen down through the ages. You saw all the events that have already taken place and predicted them and told us beforehand. Thank you for letting us know the day we're living in. Thank you that nothing is impossible with you. Thank you for forgiving us and cleansing us. Thank you for providing the sacrifice for us. Thank you for seeing all things and knowing all things and thank you for your day of judgment that will come. And thank you that you love this world more than we do and you have the power to reach them. And so Lord, pour out your spirit and use us in Yeshua's holy name. Amen.